Andy's got to do it the exact same way Mark does it, the exact same way that Jacob does it. It's a guide, but it's also a bit of a checklist. There's certain things we should be doing along that path. And the reason a pilot uses a checklist or a doctor uses a checklist or so on and so forth, they kind of work. For us, what it helps us do with the teams that we train is, we help them focus in on what we see as the most important part of that, which is discovery. Our training and leaders and everything is always asking us, how do you close better? How do you close better? Give me a closing technique. And you know, when we go, there isn't one. <laughs> do a better discovery is your closing technique. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now that was Mark Cox. Mark is the founder of In The Funnel Sales Consulting. And in our conversation, Mark and I talk about why sellers need a repeatable process to convert prospects into paying clients. Because as Mark says, in the absence of selling as a process, sales actions just become a series of unrelated events. So Mark shares his three critical concepts that selling is built on. And he talks about why professional sellers need to think about their buyer's view of what is going on and how they can help them through their buying process and driving them through their decision-making process. So all this and much, much more. Before we get to Mark, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Andy, it's, it's great to be here. I'm a huge fan of the show, so thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Um, we just talked, didn't we? Like a couple of days ago. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to go back and, and go to your website and watch the webinar we did, uh, they should go do that. They, they should. And by the way, one of the things we both said in the middle of that kind of 45-minute live webinar was, we could talk for hours about this stuff. So I'm, I'm glad we're getting another chance now. Yeah, so here we are, right. Yeah. Yeah. Now the question is, does anybody want to listen to us talk for hours about it? I don't know. <laughs> we would have fun. But hopefully this is a good entertainment and education for people that are listening. Absolutely. I hope so too. And, and uh, again, for those listening, I got to call it out. If you want an MBA in professional selling, listen to Andy's you know, 953 podcast. There is some spectacular gold in there and I continue to learn oh, when I'm listening to those podcasts. They're really great. Thank you. It, it's so much fun to do. I mean, I, I, as I tell people, I, I know people listening to the show are probably tired of me saying this, but yeah, it's been such a great learning experience for me yeah. to talk to all these smart people like yourself and all these others and just, um, yeah, gosh, I've, I, I can't even begin to quantify how much I've learned uh, from talking to folks. So I think, yeah, if there's a reason everybody has a, almost everybody has a podcast these days is they're great learning experiences. Yeah. Well, well, I, uh, everybody seems to have a podcast these days, but it, it, I think I might have the number wrong, Andy, but I heard the majority of them tank out after about eight or nine episodes. I think that's on the high end. Oh, I think, yeah, I think it's, yeah, more than... More than a majority. I think the mean is seven episodes. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I expect the median is probably quite a bit higher. It's, it's um, or lower, excuse me. Is is yeah, I, I uh, it takes work. It takes work. You, know, you, you do something on a regular basis as well. It takes work. It takes commitment and uh, it takes curiosity and you want to be able to 
jump into these conversations. So yeah, I think people think, oh, it'd just be fun to get a mic and we'll talk and sure, that's fun. But if you want to create something that other people want to listen to, then it takes, uh, so it takes that effort. It sure does. You know, everyone's, you know, when we're chatting with some of these founders and CEOs that we work with, and they have this amazing passion for, for the importance of professional selling, you know, it's so critically important to them in their business. Mm. Oftentimes we'll catch each other, you know, to be six thirty, seven o'clock at night at the end of a, a day together. And we'll say, we got to cut this off because we, we could talk for hours about this. So I, I can see how you've taken that, you know, when you have somebody where there's a meeting of minds, may not agree on every point in terms of their approach and your yeah, approach. Absolutely. Overall, you really agree with the importance of this as a business discipline. Um, you know, you can really talk for hours and you've talked for 950 something <laughs> hours. So you've proved that out. Yeah, that's... Uh... I'm not sure it sounds good when you say it that way, but yeah, yeah. Totally it's, awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into what we're going to talk about today because I want to talk about sales process. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was going through your website, your blog, and you write a great blog and I urge people to check it out. Uh, Thank at you. your website. And uh, yeah, just give your website real quickly. www.inthefunnel.com. Inthefunnel.com. Which is where you can see a recording of the webinar we did this week. You sure can. And so you'd written this piece that it sort of tracks and doesn't track with, with a lot of things I've been thinking about, sort of also think about in regard to the next book I'm going to write after the one that's going to, new one's going to be published in early next year, which is really going to be about process and sales process. And, and you write that, yeah, we need this repeatable sales process to convert prospects into paying clients. And yeah, I don't think there's any basic argument with that. But where I really want to start the discussion was, is that if you, as I've done, is you uh, Google sales process, B2B selling process or B2B sales process, you get hundreds of thousands of returns. And, you know, they're all pretty similar, right? They all tend to be these sort of what I call linear stage-based or linear step-based processes where one thing, you know, sort of neatly ties into the other. And sort of the... The thing that they all have in common is that they don't really have anything to do with the buyer and their process. It's all sales-centric. So to me, this seems like, I believe, is one of the really big challenges for sellers and perhaps one of the reasons why we keep having to uh, <laughs> coach people over and over again. As you said, business is booming. I mean, yeah, in our profession, there seems to be a shortage of challenges, but this seems to be a big one is that, you know, how do we stop thinking about selling in terms of what we do as a seller and think about in the way the what the buyer does as a buyer? Well, those, those two things aren't mutually exclusive in my view. So, so, you know, I absolutely agree. And, you know, we, we do some other blogs on things like this common sense revolution in, in sales, but I absolutely believe everything's got to be about the prospect. So what, you know, do we know who we're speaking to? Do we understand their world? Can we provide insight to them? Can we provide out value in every interaction? So the fact that we may might be thinking along what we do as a process doesn't negate the fact that they've got the journey that they're going through. And it's not serial and it's not linear. And you've spoken multiple times about that, you know, the Gardner spaghetti mm -hmm. diagram. And we've had Frank Cespedes on our show Yep. You know, from Harvard, where he talks about his his version of the same. 
but but when we're thinking, and you you bring up this great point, hey, you Google it, and there's there's a hundred thousand different options out there. But let me ask you this, Andy: when you're mm. going in to train sales teams out there, one in nine people in the U.S. in sales in Canada is one one point four million of us. Are they following any form of sales process whatsoever? You know, do do they know what they're doing? And when when we're assessing the group we're coming to, we really get these very mature salespeople, people kind of in the middle, and then you get new salespeople. Right. And I think, you know, certainly, you know, it's very helpful for, for all three of those groups to kind of understand, at least from their perspective, are there some steps to complete a sale? So you think of these separate and distinct steps to complete a sale from their perspective that doesn't ignore what the client's doing, but it provides them with a little bit of a guide as to what should they actually be doing in each step. So it's not just the pro step of the process, but what are the sales activities in that step? And how do I actually know I'm progressing along? Right. And so how do I make sure I'm doing the right things, even if I've been doing this for a while? And, and so our experiences with some traditional industries, manufacturing, mature salespeople, sharp tip of the spear, these people, you know, mm -hmm. using some of your temp, te term, terminology, they know the clients, right. they know their products. They're unconsciously competent. The, the best of those people actually do follow a process. And the most important part of the process, basic solution sales process is discovery. And they have a very good, clear way of going through that before they try and present you know, financials or proposal or solution or any of those things. Now, that doesn't ignore the fact that their buyers are going through a process and every step of the way, they're trying to help their buyers with that as well. But they actually understand what they're trying to do. And, and when you think of things as a, a sales process, just the steps to complete a sale from our perspective within our world from start to finish. That, that has to interact with the buyer's journey. It also has to interact with something like sales strategy. Sure. How do I actually you know, progress along in a positive way to get to the end of, end of a deal? So that's where we leverage it. And, and we're not big, Andy, on saying, you, know, you have to be an automatron. You have to do, you know, Andy's got to do it the exact same way Mark does it, the exact same way that Jacob does it. It's a guide but it's also a bit of a checklist. There's certain things we should be doing along that path. And the reason a pilot uses a checklist or a doctor uses a checklist or so on and so forth, they kind of work. So that's where we like, we like to think about it. You know, for us, what it helps us do with the teams that we train is we help them focus in on what we see as the most important part of that, which is discovery. We get right. our training and leaders and everything is always asking us, how do you close better? How do you close better? Give me a closing technique. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when we go, there isn't one. Right. Yeah, do a better discovery is your closing technique. But that, that's where we, and we can talk about strategy. We could talk about the buyer's journey, but that's where we leverage process okay. as a bit of a guide. And I think it's really important for new salespeople. Yeah. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying process is important. I think that it's, it's why can't there be a common set of steps between buyer and seller? So it's mm. not because when we say, look, we're in, you know, <laughs> we're in discovery mode or we're going to do a discovery call. The buyer didn't wake up that morning and think, oh, I've got an appointment with Mark today. We're going to do a discovery call. 
Um, no, right? I mean, that's, that's not in their lexicon. It's not in their thoughts about what they're doing. And, and yeah, you, know, you, you laid out your five sort of steps that create demand, approach, discover, propose, close, which to the point I made earlier about Googling is, I mean, those basically, I just, I think the words in step one are a little bit different, but that's the old IBM five call close that, you know, they were teaching back in the seventies. Um, well, they, they took it from me, Andy, but we're not going to get into that. Okay. Sure so let's, we'll leave the, We'll keep the lawyers out of this podcast for now. Yeah, actually I think, the, the <laughs> IBM one was uh, prospect, discover, demo, propose, close. Yeah. Oh, slightly different, but it's, yeah. But it's like, okay, well, but from buyer's perspective, I mean, those steps even make sense, right? It's, it's, so part of what I'm advocating is why aren't we talking in the same language as the buyer? So when they say, look, and I think, and I'll get to how I'd advocate that be done, but when the buyer is looking at this job they have to do, they've got a series of steps. And, you know, Gartner diagram was certainly one of those. At heart, there were four jobs mm-hmm. they had to do. And I think, and Frank talks on slightly differently in his book, but they're somewhat the same. He calls it explore, evaluate, engage, experience. Gartner was problem identification, solution exploration, requirements building, and vendor selection. Right. So... If we just took those as a given and say, well, fine, why don't, those are great steps. <laughs> why aren't those using Frank's explore, evaluate, engage experience? That should be what the sales steps are. Why aren't yeah. they the same? It, and it, so you, there are you, activities we do in there, but I think this, this is, I think, a still a barrier to sellers performing more effectively is that they are on these parallel tracks that have moments of, of uh, bumping into each other, but we should be looking through the same lens. Yeah. Um, by the way, you know, I don't think the naming conventions aside, I think there actually is quite a bit of alignment. You know, when you started- well, Tell us tell why. Because you talk about um, the three, first three steps of the Gardner uh, buyer's journey, problem identification, solution exploration, and then requirements building. Those are those are things that take place in a discovery, at least in our discovery. So you know, two of them, and so in the colloquial, uh, one reason or another, you get engaged with a buyer. Maybe they, if you're lucky, they reach out to you and say, hey, "We're considering a few things," and you know, you say, "Well, listen, you know, the way we sort of take a look at it, figure out if we can help is." Why don't we sit down together and open the kimono a little bit, have a discussion about where you're at today, where you're trying to get to why. We've got a little bit of a guide for helping with that discussion. And at the end of it, we can figure out if there's a way for us to help you. And if there isn't a way for us to help you, we'll tell you that. And if there is, we'll tell mm-hmm. you that also. So, so outside of, that's where I mean a little bit, Andy, it's not, it's not always a super rigid, but when you get into the details, I mean, I know we like to map out five stages to make it simple. We like to put it on one page, but when we coach on it, there's about 15 different activities under uh, discovery. It's not one activity, right? It's not one meeting, 30 minutes. You know, there's a whole bunch of activities under there, but I think it actually ends up aligning pretty well. well with. Let me just, if I could interject is, but the way that most sales organizations practice it is discovery is this one and done activity. It's the, hey, that's this stage. We've got 
exit criteria defined that, hey, we've, we've done that, right? Mm-hmm. We go and we ask our questions and we're on to the next stage. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. I mean, if you think that you discover everything you need to discover in one call with the buyer, yeah. uh, you're going to be sadly mistaken. And you're wondering why you're not winning more of your deals. So, it's, and so that's why I think that in part, part of the reason why I think our, we're doing a disservice to sellers when we're stuck in these old naming conventions about what we're doing because, yeah, that's a perfect example. And in my mind, discovery takes place on every interaction you do with the buyer. You know, every yeah. interaction you're trying to deepen your connection, you're trying to deepen your credibility and trust, you're trying to deepen your, under, your discovery and understanding of the buyer and deepen the value you provide to help them make a decision. And so to me, that's like, that's not stage basis. You know, you're doing sort of part of everything on every call. Yeah. And I think the reason I, I you know, want to have this conversation is, is because I think it's really important for us, perhaps as a change to say, well, look, we need to think differently about what we're really doing. That's something that really relates more to what needs to happen to help the buyer make their decision. Uh, by the way, I, I don't violently disagree with anything you've said so far. <laughs> now, now I'm, I'm sure that's going to come because you're a Liverpool supporter, so there's no way we're cutting wait, wait, the who do you support? Uh, well, I'm going to say genetically, I was programmed to support Aston Villa. Oh, well, I like Villa. But yeah, so so I was yeah, not Liverpool. I, I, but yeah, that, that's a legacy thing. My dad was from Birmingham, so that was kind of uh, a legacy. Okay, thing. got it. Um, but but you know one one of the things I'll come back to again, um, Andy, which I think you bring this good point of like when you're talking about hey it's not one and done, I'll I'll agree with you. There's no question until a deal's done, anything can change, right? And I've lived through very large transactions where we were, thought we were getting close to the end, and then suddenly a new buyer's involved. Mm-hmm. In some cases, Absolutely. they went and got professional negotiators to negotiate against us, mm-hmm. right, on massive deals. You know, so suddenly you think you're you're just finishing things off and suddenly we're going back and back. starting things over again. Well, that's the beauty of that Gartner diagram, because I to me, that was yeah. the first time I'd seen something that captured the reality of enterprise right. selling and enterprise buying. I, I think one of the things and, you know, it's it's uh, I think you bring up this good point that it isn't stop and serial and linear. I think what happens certainly with our diagram, you know, um, and we could be maybe a little bit more clear. This discussion might help it a little bit. <laughs> I think there's a lot, there is a lot of people though that have no process whatsoever. So before I'm taking some, you know, trying to coach somebody to become a four out of five and shooting a hockey puck, you know, I got to teach them what a stick and a puck is. And I mean, no disrespect for that, but th- there's some basics to help us get to think about this, this side of the thing. So have some system. And then right. you start to, based on what you sell and how you sell, then you start to evolve it. Um, so so I, I take the point that it may not be, you know, you're not through a gate and finished, done, done that gate forever, for sure. Um, the core intent of us trying to think about exit criteria on our end, though, is for the teams that we're coaching and training, you know, we want to help provide some clarity that really, at the end of the day, that says, I'm not having one quick conversation with Andy and then firing over some pricing and think I have a qualified, you know, deal on the table. Or that I understand the buyer and their requirements and their whatsoever. Right. Right. 
So, so I, you know, I think you in your uh, one of your great books, you make this uh, comment about being on a train overhearing somebody who had right. committed a deal, yes. and you know, clearly had gone from <laughs> approach call to proposal, and and you uh, uh, you envisioned what the sales leader w- was saying on the other end of the phone. I thought it was great. <laughs> You know, so part of this is, hey, there is there are some steps to think about. There's and and let's, you know, let's let's start where we should and try to earn the right to proceed to the next step, rather Absolutely. than jumping to the end with a proposal. Yeah, and I think that's a, such a, a critical point is, and you talk about in the blog as well is this i this idea is that every interaction we have with uh, with a buyer is at sort of bottom line is that we have to earn the right in that interaction. To a next interaction, right? And yeah, you know, there, there's always a sense you, you get from sellers, some sellers, and perhaps some may a little less experienced, but those also are just sort of chugging through life and not paying attention. Is that buyers don't have to talk to you? They talk to you once; they don't have to. I mean, people more and more people getting sellers getting experience of so buyers ghosting them and and going silent, and that's they made a judgment that you just weren't worth any more of their time. We get that a lot too. In, in, you know, in our, we do um, public workshops where it's not the consulting people have just signed up and they come in and, hey, what happens? I've got this big deal and they've gone quiet for two weeks. What can I do now? Um, And I say, well, let's jump in a time machine and let's go back to the first three interactions you had. So if you've got a time machine, we can fix this. But it's pretty hard now. And so, so I, I agree with you, Andy, and I think, by the way, that adding value along every step is another one of these common sense principles about selling. Um, you've mentioned it on many podcasts. I've mentioned it. How often are we getting you know, po- folks with energy and enthusiasm doing demand generation, cold calling, prospecting us? We've never even been to our website. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. You know, so, so the, you know, this all the time. This, all the time. Or a first, I've actually had some interactions with senior people taking over partnership programs and so forth for companies. And, you know, they're reaching out because we might have partnerships with them or something of that nature. They don't even know what we do. They've never, you know. Well, yeah, it's not, it, this is not relegated to SDRs, you know, new, newbies into sales. It is. Yeah, this, this is ongoing behavior. Yeah, I, I love the, one of my favorite interactions was, I, I don't think I told it in the webinar this week, but stop me if I did. But as I got this LinkedIn message from a guy who says, yeah, God, I'm looking on your profile and um, yeah, I think you'd be a great candidate to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I, I most of the time don't respond, but this time it was just so egregiously bad. I responded. I said, <laughs> in, in effort, I, in, in effect, I said, dude, um, if you had spent just, you know, you're in sales, if you spent just one minute, not even a minute, and browsed my my profile, you would have seen that not only I have a podcast, I've had a podcast for six years and, yeah, a few hundred episodes. And he wrote back and said, I don't have time to do research before I reach out. No, he didn't. He did. Not part of our, research is not part of our process. And this was not, a junior guy. This was the person who owned the agency. The podcast oh, my agency. goodness. By the way, um, so, so therein lies the challenge. That, that actually comes up a lot in our training because here's the reality. As you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm talking to the choir of course, preaching to the choir, but 
it would have taken two and a half, three minutes maximum for that individual to realize you run a podcast that was identified by Inc. Magazine as one of the best leadership podcasts ever. Not sales <laughs> leadership podcasts, podcasts. So, so it's one thing when we get you know, cold called by sales training companies, which literally I get cold called twice a month at least mm -hmm. by a sales training company. Name brand sales training companies, companies with bigger, much bigger names than we have. Yeah. And oh. <laughs> much, really. And, and I'll never, I'm not going to mention them or anything, but, you know, some of them are franchised out and so forth, but we just right. get hit all the time. Well, my, my favorite one recently, I've been getting a lot, is about hiring. And, you know, they, it's, you know, fill in the blank name, both from email and LinkedIn message. And it's, uh, you know, economy's booming. And I'm sure looking at your profile, I could see that sales enablement podcast with Andy Paul must be hiring. <laughs> it's like, it's a podcast, dude. Hiring <laughs> sales people. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, well, I, I, but that's all it does sort of feed into. I keep thinking is that, look, we have to, to the extent possible. Yeah. This idea about making, using the same terminology, whether we're looking at from the buyer perspective or the sales side perspective mm -hmm. is just a way to help simplify, to help embed in people's minds more clearly exactly what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. And in an effort to do that, then people can become more proficient at it, right? Because if they have the right vision in mind of what's really happening, what they need to do, my belief is, you know, they could be more effective. And so I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on webinar Tuesday, but yeah, I've, I'm always constantly trying to define selling as simply as possible. Mm -hmm. And so here's my simple definition of it. And then I'm going to sort of get into the sales process, simple. So to me, selling is nothing more than listening to understand what's the most important thing to a buyer and then helping them get that. Okay. That's, that's selling to me. And if you're in sales and you have that in mind that you understand your job is to be able to listen, which means you got to ask questions, listen to understand what's the most important thing to the buyer. And that important thing is, well, undoubtedly be more than one thing, but a combination of, you know, solving a problem, achieving certain desired outcomes. But if you know that, then your job is to help them get it. Right. Yeah. And I think if people had sellers just understood that just as a baseline, this is what you're trying to do. You're not trying to persuade somebody to buy something. You're, not trying, you're trying to first understand what's most important to them. And then your job is to help them get that. Is that, that, that changes the whole mindset about, well, how do I go about this job then? Um, we position it. I, I, I don't disagree again, Andy. We position it slightly different. We, we're always trying to simplify it for everybody out there too. And we just say, our job is to help solve a problem for a client or help solve a problem for a prospect. Mm -hmm. and, and now, sometimes they may come to us knowing exactly what that problem is. And sometimes they may come to us looking for some guidance, you know, looking in, in, in terms of what the art of the possible is. You know, you came, you've sold some very large things to some very large companies, done big deals. In your old world, you would have approached some very large prospects with a point of view on the art of possible that they may not have anticipated before. Mm -hmm. You can call it value engineering, you know, big software companies call it different things, but they may not have known 
you know, you might have done some research on their business and understand there were some metrics they weren't performing against, and you might be able to help them. But we think, hey, we're just trying to solve a problem for a client or a prospect, and pitching a product or pitching a service has nothing to do with that. Well, you'd be surprised yeah. how much pushback I get when I post, and I did recently on LinkedIn, is... is saying is that, you know, if you're looking at hiring, what I want is I'm looking for curious, open-minded problem solvers right. <laughs> and, and people, <laughs> that's what, that's for me, an ideal seller, curious, open-minded problem solver. And you try something people was, I mean, it wasn't a huge number, but I mean, there's a number of people just sort of like, no, why don't problem solving? They're not problem solving. They're sellers. It's like, well, what do you think selling is? Right. We're not there to solve a buyer's problems. We're not. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, one guy said, no, what you really want is you want somebody who's, you know, curious, da-da-da. And I just sort of wrote back, no, well, isn't that what the curiosity is about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it sort of went through it. It's like, oh, yeah, you're right. So, well, you know, we, I, I always try and, you know, I don't want to sound grumpy about this. So I'm really <laughs> optimistic and I'm really positive about all of this. And I think there's amazing upside because right now, in many cases, not all, by the way, there are some some spectacular performers out there today. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the vast majority, there's this real opportunity to elevate sales performance. I actually also don't think it's that hard. So so I think there's just I this ama- amazing, amazing opportunity. But but part of it has to has to come from experience and expertise matters. So, so I may have had one role with one organization for nine months where we were pitching product and it was a great time for that technology and it was a great time for the market and the market was exploding and pitching and being ineffective at selling actually was, was productive and we got double digit growth. But, but I think there's also something that comes from living with companies that have great value propositions to their market, trying to grow when the company did not have a spectacular product for the market you know, good economic times, bad economic times, what it what you end up defaulting to is a set of core best practices. And to be honest with you, they're just foundational. I wouldn't I wouldn't say they're all fundamental, but they're foundational. And to me, today in, in the environment out there, if I look at somebody starting their career in the middle of their career, the end of the career, there, there's a massive gap. And I think these foundational things like being able to communicate and ask great questions and, mm-hmm. you know, um, be intellectually curious and take an authentic interest in the, the other side of the table. So you really want to understand their environment. I got a mm-hmm. desire to improve my business acumen. I think that's missing on, you know, some of the newer people into professional sales because they're not getting that guidance from management. Well, which means management's missing it as well. They, they are. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I've, yeah. Managers, managers, uh, yeah. Some in management are quick to point the fingers at individual contributors as being the source of problems. You know, every time I hear stories about, read things about, uh, you know, sellers discounting and yeah, you know, lowering the price, and it's like, well, that comes from managers. That doesn't come from the sellers, right? Um, you know, the pointing fingers at at sellers. It's like, well, no, they they need help, right? They they don't necessarily know what to do. And then we'd look at the frontline managers and think, well, kind of problematic there. But, hey, they're not being trained and enabled. And, you know, we, we, we have these expectations. People just sort of know what to do. And it's, 
as I like to say, I think this is these foundational things you talk about for me are just sort of basic human skills. And, and I think they're just, you know, four that you need to have to succeed in sales is the ability to connect curiosity, like four attributes I call them connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. Hmm. And with those, the world's your oyster, but we assume people know these things and they don't. So let's not shame them or blame them. Let's teach them. You know, right. I, I give this, I give the soccer example is this quote I saw several years ago from a soccer coach saying, yeah, when they bring somebody new, a younger person new onto the team, uh, maybe come from a different team, a different league, whatever. He says, yeah, we, we spend a few months and we, we train them as a person first and then we train them as a player. So, so by the way, I love to, you just love to hear that, right? Yep. And then you, you think of that, that player who might've been so skilled and talented when they come into an organization that starts to train them on being a better person and character and integrity and all those kinds of good mm -hmm. things. Talk about the loyalty, you know, that coach drives for that individual. Well, so now, yeah. You know, now when uh, the other team says, hey, we'll give you an extra nickel or, or in those cases, we get extra five million bucks to come to another team. They really think about it. I'm not sure what the culture is over there. And so so this is one of the other things we when we're running, uh, working with sales managers, Andy, we often ask this question because we get a little bit of that, of, of course, too. They say, well, the team and the team and the team and team. And we say, well, hang on. You own the team. Mm hmm. You put them on a team. So, so what is it about these folks that's working and not working? And, you know, because obviously there's, there's folks, you know, that cause some consternation and we say, well, listen, what culture are you actually trying to drive? And what values are you expecting the people on the team to showcase? Mm -hmm. and, and where have we actually named it? So, so where have we got this document that says, hey, if you're working at, you know, 930 at night, like you were when we did the webinar and you're tired and you're food deprived and you're trying to make decisions, what guides your behavior in terms of a value system when you're when you don't have your wits about you? What kind of culture are we trying to create? And yeah. I, I think so, sometimes that's missing a little bit in these organizations as well. They just they just don't seem to have the time to think about these things. But I think. It gets back to what we were talking about before, these foundational elements is, you know, we still predominantly train sellers in behaviors that buyers don't like, you know, the very sort of pushy, stereotypical, salesy, pushy, persuasive, you know, closer, quote unquote, closer mentality that's counterproductive. And people just have the wrong, like I said, this wrong mindset. That's why, I, you know, my simplified view of selling. I think if somebody had that as their basic mindset in terms of this is what my job is. Yeah. Then building on that becomes easier because they know, right? They have these, these, these milestones, these mileposts, whatever that, that they use as guides. This is very simple. And I would say that most, my belief is that, yeah, most sellers look at sales as sort of a performance art. Right, they they're you know putting on an act to some degree, because this is how they've been trained to act, and how they have been trained to act, yeah, it doesn't really align with who they are as a human being. Yeah, there's a veneer; it's inauthentic, or they need the veneer to do these things that that they don't feel that comfortable doing. Which is okay, maybe at first, but at some point, you either get by that or you don't stay in sales. I think. 
Right. And, and so just back to your point, you know, if we, if we simplified it, even use your definition, our definition, kind of same, solving a problem for a client, if we went into every discussion that way, where my goal is not to sell a deal and mm-hmm. to make a nickel, you know, my goal is actually to figure out if we can, you know, authentically help this client, you know, get to where they want to go. And if we can, fantastic. And if we can't, we're going to step away and let them know and maybe point them in the direction of somebody else who might be able to help because we can add value. That'll pay off for us in the future. Then then a lot of the pressure we face and the nerves and the inauthenticity and all those things, the veneer, I think it can disappear. I actually think that's what a lot of more mature, you know, mid, mid-career salespeople who have comfort in the value they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they do. And you can call it different things. You could call it a lot of the times they're disqualifying customers. You know, when they're interacting, they're having a very positive conversation, but they're pretty focused on, hey, if we really can't help them, you know, they want to drive at night and we sell a car that doesn't have lights, <laughs> then I'm going to point them in the direction of another. By the way, that's a reference to Andy's book also. Yes. But yeah. I'm, I'm getting, somebody <laughs> else listening is going to go, what's wrong with that guy? No, that's a reference to just just supposing we did have a car with lights. Yeah. (laughs) You know, again, that that's what the desperation of, Hey, I just want to have some qualified pipeline out there, but I think it actually raises the level of comfort with the profession. And, you know, you you start to sell away. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, then we can start to, to sell the way we would like to be sold to. Yeah. But, I mean, right. And I, I think the <laughs> part of the problem, and it's guess what you're talking about, you know, problem solving, but I think it, it also goes sort of a level below it. So I was giving a keynote speech to a well-known tech company, the sales kickoff. And, and I said, yeah, when you really look at it, what's your job as a salesperson? What's the, what's, what's the one thing that everything else depends on? And, you know, everybody sort of looks at me like I'm sort of crazy and you know, various answers from the audience, you know, our ability to persuade, da 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 And it's like, no, it's your ability to connect with another human being. Mm. If you can't do that, nothing's going to follow. And so I said, really, when you look at it, one perspective is your job is a connection professional because that's the rate determining step <laughs> to, to sales oftentimes. And it's like, you could tell just looking in their eyes. Yeah, they just weren't buying it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. You know, it's like, but that's that's it, right? We just have to have these simple things that that give people the right perspective. And I'm sort of I I think one of the actually one of the great sales books of all time, it's unintentional, is uh David Allen's book, Getting Things Done. I wrote about this in my second book. You did. Is yeah, when you look at a, a task in, in real life, he used the example of changing a light bulb. Yeah, we tend to think, well, I'll put that on my to-do list, you know, changing a light bulb. But in his book, I think it's like eight or ten steps to changing mm-hmm. a light bulb that are all discrete to-dos, actually. Um, and, you know, it follows identify what type of bulb you need. You know, if you don't have it, identify where you have those. And do you have that on hand? If not, when are you going to go to the store? Yeah, and so on and so forth. And I, and I give the examples that, you know, like a, a follow-up call is <laughs> you know, like 24 steps, but it's, it's true in sales. You know, this first 
interactions you have with buyers, you know, that's, that is so important. And, and sales, the bigger sales itself is, yeah, we think this is an unimportant step in my ability just to form a rapport with someone, a basic rapport, a basic connection. Everything's based on that. Sure it is. Um, by the way, I love that book, Getting Things Done. We, David was a guest on our webinar a month or two before you. Oh. Yeah, so, so great guy, great discussion. Yep. Um, and love the way he goes at certain things. You know, from a sales perspective, I just love the fact it's so much easier if you just have that first step when you're creating this crazy hit list of things you need to do. And there's, a, you know, I like his realism too. You got 150 things to do. Mm -hmm. It's easier just to jot down, what's that next step? What, what's the next thing I'm gonna do? Yeah, as he said, what's the very next physical action you're gonna take? And yeah. I think it's just such a great phrase. What's the very next physical action? You know, you, you, you keep coming back to these simple ways of trying to communicate that. And I think that leads to this, this challenge in sales training right now, Andy. So, so you know, um, as you've mentioned many a time, 20 billion gets spent roughly or so on sales training annually. As Frank has mentioned, you know, companies today spend 20% more training salespeople than anybody else. They, they actually spend about 1500 bucks a year U.S., training salespeople, yet through lots of indicators, it's not a perfect science, but sales performance continues to decline. And so you start to look at this and say, how do you simplify and actually, first of all, create a, a training program or curriculum that actually resonates and sticks. So after mm -hmm. somebody goes to a, an event, six months later, there's some evidence that it's still in play in the company, because usually there's absolutely none. Right. right? And then secondly, then how do we get the management team to continue to reinforce these things? Because right now there, there's a lot of information out there on selling. Mm -hmm. I, so I think, people, I think people may be, they may have more information, but clearly they're not better informed. Right. So, you know, am I getting, am I getting overburdened with these internet platitudes, like a five minute video that's supposed to teach me everything? <laughs> or am I reading, am well, I taking the question. time to... You know, am I taking the time to read a book, or am yeah. I investing myself to go to some 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 sales training? So, so I think that kind of I think it is on the training community to a certain extent, and then the leadership community, the sales management community. It doesn't have to be our system, or your system, or you know, pick pick a name, but have some system. You know, yeah. have have a playbook. Well, have have. Have your own system. That's fine. I think, yeah. See, to me, and this is something I've been writing a lot, a lot about recently and will continue to, is everybody sells differently, right? We have, we've, we're, we're all sum total the influences that came to us from books, training, managers, coaches, so on and so forth, mm -hmm. peers. So really, it's incumbent upon us to really document and make sure we understand how we're doing it. As individuals, what's our process, mm -hmm. individual process? Because that's really what we have. I mean, yes, company's got a process, but it's really our individual process. And this, I mean, in my experience, is hey, the people are most consistently good at selling. Understand this. <coughs> Excuse me. Understand this, mm -hmm. and they they can document how they sell. And. They keep experimenting and they're, you know, they're very intentional about it. And this is, this is, I think, a goal for sellers and something that should be part of 
training and development of individuals is you, I call it, write your own sales book. How do you sell? How I Sell by Andy Paul. Uh, and list what you do and what works and what doesn't and what you're going to try to improve and just sort of keep this journal, uh, if you will, because I think it's this is where improvement comes from. And managers, the big challenge is we've, we're in this era where we want, because we have technology enables us to serve uh, wrongly, I think, coach everybody to be one way based on a, a model they've heard is, yeah, they need to encourage people to become the best version of themselves, but it starts with understanding why they do works or doesn't. I absolutely like that, but I love that idea. I've never heard that before. Um, so, the, hey, create your own sales book for what you do. Mm -hmm. I think that's great because once you document that, then once we've got a process or a methodology or an approach or best practices, then you start to look at where can I tweak it a little bit? What's working and what isn't? And, exactly. you know, if you've, um, um, I play hockey, play, played soccer, didn't play golf as a kid. So when I tried to learn as an adult, you know, after once or twice out there on my own, realizing it was just terrible because every, every time I try and hit the ball, I was taking a wrist shot. Mm -hmm. um, but then went to a, a teacher, a very good one. And the first thing they taught me was self-diagnosis. So tried to teach the basics of a swing, tried to teach this, but when the ball goes left or the ball goes right, here's what you've done. So here's how you just tweak it, get a little bit better, keep it right. short and straight and just get better. Right. I think documenting, I love that idea of create your own sales playbook for yep. you. And then you can go and identify, you know, where you need some help. Yes, precisely. And, and, and by the way, managers should try and create their sales management playbook. Uh, yeah. It should. I mean, it's, it's sellers are, we've, I said, we've gone through this era through the introduction of technology into sales and the way it's primarily been applied is to create conformity and enforce compliance. And I think the pendulum swing where managers need to understand they need to use the technology to give sellers more autonomy become the best version of themselves, it's just going to take more work by the managers, but they have the tools to be able to help the individuals in the way they didn't before. And the way mm -hmm. to apply the tools is not to say, here's a call by Jennifer, who's the best salesperson, everybody be like Jennifer. It's to use the technology to help the individual listen to their calls and Jennifer's and say, how do we get better with yeah. you? So, all right, Mark, unfortunately we're running out of time. But uh, as always, this has been a pleasure. Sure has. Thank you very much for having me, by the way. Well, it's my pleasure. You just had me on yours. Actually, that was all planned well far in advance. But uh, yeah, we just happen to be here a few days apart. Um, so again, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? That's through the website, Andy. So, so if you're a small and medium business today and you want some help building your playbook, we'd be happy to chat with you. And that you can get to us through the website at inthefunnel.com. But if you've already got comfort, you've got a playbook and you'd like to train your team, either in a public workshop or a private custom workshop, and that's for sales leaders or salespeople, same thing. You can reach out to us through inthefunnel.com. And uh, Andy, I hope we do this again soon. This is always a pleasure talking to you. And I always learn likewise. something talking to you. Well, likewise, that's been great. So Mark, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, 
I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Mark Cox, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or review, let us know how we're doing. Well, we'd certainly appreciate that. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thanks for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.